You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am Dave Griffiths, our fearless veteran, Mike Chappell, on a bye this week. Well, really not a bye, but uh, he had some, some work done and he is on the mend. So Joe Hopkins and I carrying the torch for the Blue Zone podcast this week. Um, But we are not alone, as you will also hear from Colts head coach Frank Reich, as well as wide receiver Perry. Spoke to both of those two this week, as well as DeForest Buckner, new defensive tackle. And by the way, you can log on online to fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. Head over to the sports page. There's a story there that I wrote about DeForest Buckner, a couple things that he had to say, and you can hear what DeForest had to say in its entirety on that story. So if you uh, want a little bit more from DeForest, go ahead, log on there. It was certainly a good interview. He talks about um, kind of what he's been doing during quarantine, where he's been, just got back to uh, the West Coast from his first trip to Indianapolis. So he has seen the Circle City. Uh, But nevertheless, we're going to focus a little bit more on offense on this specific Colts Blue Zone podcast. If you're more of a defensive guy, like I said, you can log on to our website and find DeForest Buckner there. But we'll start things off by listening to head coach Frank Reich uh, speaking with the media this week at the end of May about uh, a myriad of topics and the uh, Colts offseason so far. So here is Colts head coach Frank Reich. All right, Phil B. Morning, coach. Morning. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the league getting rid of uh, PI challenges. Um, you are in that rare club of coaches that actually got one to work for you. You did the Denver game, huge yeah. call. It was a big uh, call. Yeah, you had a couple that didn't work. KC, uh, T.Y. Hilton, where they called him for offensive pass over the line, and Pittsburgh. I'm wondering your thoughts on the decision. Do you wish they would have kept with it, or do you think it's the right thing? I think it's the right thing for right now. Um, you know, do I think that there's a way to modify it somewhere in the future? Maybe so. Uh, you know, maybe so. I thought it was a, a one-year experiment, like you said, Phil. I mean, we get, we did get the one call. It was a huge call in that Denver game, uh, you know, on TY. So, um, you know, I think it gives us a chance to go back and look at it and see see if there's any way to modify it and make it better. But for now, we'll just chalk it up to experience, and I think it's the right move to, to kind of put that aside. Thank you, Coach. Damon Holder. So I, we always hear coaches talk about um, rookie wide receivers struggling for whatever reason in terms of, you know, college to pro transition. Um, I'm wondering what your take is on that. Um, you seem to have a really pro-ready guy in Michael, but, but why in your mind, there's a lot of reasons, I guess, but what, what are the, the main reasons in your mind? And what, two-part question, what specifically, you know, helps the, the guys who do succeed, what is it that enables them to have success? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question because um, it's one that we think about a lot and talk about a lot. I think the, the main thing, if I had to say there was one thing, I would just say the quality of press coverage at this, at this level is so much better than the quality of press coverage at the previous level. And, you know, and then on top of that, Stephen, um, you know, th- it's like uh, old NBA rules. I mean, it can get pretty physical out there. The DBs are really physical at this level. And there's a lot of grabbing and holding that goes on, a lot of it within the rules, some of it out, outside of the rules. But that's just the game. And we tell our guys all the time, hey, just expect to get grabbed. Don't expect to get the call. Um, but that's a, that's a transition. Um, you know, in college, 
they just don't see as much press coverage. And when they do see press coverage, it's just not even near the caliber of what we see here. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing and just the physical nature of press coverage. And it's such a prominent part of, of what we play. There's the mental side of it, but most of the guys are pretty good mentally. You know, a lot of the college systems are, you know, a lot of these college systems have just gone to this, you know, no huddle, you know, they get limited time with their players. So very simple systems, very, very simple systems. And, you know, we're just a little bit more sophisticated at that level. I would say that would be like a 1B answer. Okay, Kevin Bowen. Hey, Frank. What did your defense lose when Kamoko Ture went down last year? And how big of a piece is he to getting a consistent four-man rush without feeling like we need to send five, six, you know, constantly? Yeah. I mean, we lost a big piece. I mean, Kamoko uh, – you know, has that rare ability. So they, so two, th a couple things to make a good edge rusher. Obviously one is speed and get off and instincts, you know, the, that combination of speed, get off instincts. There, there's just some guys have a natural feel to that and he's got that. But the other big thing is, is bend is, is how can you bend around the corner? And I, all these guys can bend, right? All these good, all these pass rushers at this level can bend but there's that extra 10% of bend and, and Kamoko has that. And it's, a, it's just a God given ability that you can go fast and bend and not lose speed. And then on top of it, the other thing he has is length. So some of these guys, some of the guys that we see, some of the good edge pass rushers in more recent years have gotten smaller and faster. Well, Kamoko is still big and long. And so he has that length with get off with bend that's a dangerous combination. Now we just got a, he's got a couple bad breaks on injuries, but that was a big loss last year. And we really think if we're really excited, he's been working really hard, um, you know, to get ready physically and mentally. And with the addition of what, you know, DeForest and, you know, of course with Justin coming off a great year, we just, we feel really good about our upfront unit on defense. Hey, Mike Chappell. Yeah, Frankie, you, you mentioned the watching the golf match on, on Sunday, and what was missing was the roar of the crowd when they made the great shots. Can you have you thought about what I don't say worst case scenario because it's not the worst case, but if you play in September and you've got an empty stadium, how will it be different? Obviously, but how will it change maybe what you do or will it? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, and we have you know we have started to talk about those things as coaches. Uh, Chris and I have talked about it uh, to some degree. Um, as coaches, we've talked about, you know, what that would look like. And, um, you know, even as, as far as stuff like, uh, you know, it'll be odd that first time. So I'm just giving you one example. So we, we this offseason, we've been working a lot on visualization. And we're all big believers in it. Every, every athlete uses visualization at some point. There's no, that's no earth-shattering announcement or discovery. But I think when you're in this virtual period, you just tend to accentuate this, ver this visualization technique and that it's really a skill and that it really does matter and we're gonna heighten our use of it. And so I've asked the coaches to, to bring that into every meeting, you know, having guys visualize stuff. So we were talking about it. So for instance, chap, I, I was even thinking the other day, well, if they tell us we're not gonna, if, if it gets to that point where there's gonna be no fans or limited fans or whatever. And I don't have any information on any of that at this point, but I'd probably go through an exercise where I got guys trying to visualize what that looks like. 
you know, so it's, so you get rid of that awkwardness the first time you go in and you're looking around like, man, this is strange. So try to do something to alleviate that from a play calling standpoint and a scheming standpoint, you know, it would eliminate crowd noise, but then I've heard they possibly would pipe noise in. If it ever came to something like that, there might be some level of noise that's piped in. So um, we're thinking about those things. We'll be ready to adapt and adjust. Um, I think they all matter and we're talking them all through. Okay, George Bremer. Good morning, coach. Uh, to what extent can you really evaluate your rookie class right now? I know that they've got some classroom work in, in, to that degree, what have you seen from them so far? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you're right. It's, it's harder because we don't get them on the field, but um, lots of classroom work. Uh, we do get them uh, the way the rules read. We get the rookies for longer. So once the vets get excused, we still get to keep the rookies a little bit longer. So we, we get some one-on-one -on -one time with them. That's been helpful, right? You always get to, you know, they're in a group setting with everybody they're probably a little bit more on the quiet side, but now you get them one-on-one -on -one and there's no place to hide. So you get to know them. And then, you know, secondly, I think I mentioned this maybe a couple of weeks ago, we're trying to get those guys to send in videos, especially the rookies. You know, we're really pushing the rookies. We're pushing all the guys, but maybe even pushing the rookies more, send us video. We want to see you. We want to see your body moving and how you, you know, how you come out of your stance, how you come out of a break, how you break on a ball. Um, those little things, we can get a little bit of a head start. It's not ideal, but that's what we're doing. Okay, Zach Kiefer. Morning, Frank. Hey, Zach. So before this offseason, Chris had never really gone really, really big in free agency with a big, big contract. Um, you know, setting Phillip aside, Buckner was the first one. And free agency, I know there's a trade, but how did that process play out and, and why did you guys sign off? And, and what hasn't been discussed a lot is sort of the character vetting you guys have to go through. I'm curious, what did you learn about him maybe off the field that also played into the reason you guys gave him such a big deal? Um, yeah, two. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Um, so two things I would say uh, first on the first, on the first part, just about Chris and him working that working that deal. I, in fact, I just sent Chris a message last night, something to this effect. I obviously won't go into all the detail, but I just think as you look at how Chris has managed this roster over the time that he's been here, it's been very measured, very calculated. It's just been really good. And that's just what I was saying last night. I was sitting there and I was looking at our depth chart and just going through some scenarios in my mind and personnel groupings and stuff like that and looking on both sides of the ball, looking at our specialist group. And I was just a quick note to Chris, just acknowledging, man, just everything's been measured, calculated, poised, didn't reach, let the game come to us. And I just think he pulled it off really well. And with the force, and it's just progressed. And I think it's a smart move for Chris to kind of come in, learn the organization, learn the team, learn where the needs are learn your coaches, you know, what's, what's important to us as coaches, you know, him just not wielding the power of a general manager and making moves just because he can do that, but really involving everybody in the process, scouts, coaches to really formulate a plan on how to build a team and how to build a roster. And so I just think he's done a masterful job of doing that. And so you get a guy like DeForest and it was the, it was the, the opposite of the perfect storm, you know, in a good way. Um, it was the key need for our defense. It's the pivotal position, that three technique. He's got 
Colts character on and off the field, you know, and we have our ways of getting all that information and vetting that out. And in the case of DeForest, it's easy because he's always been the same guy and it's always been top notch everywhere he's gone. So um, couldn't be more excited about, and not just that piece, but there's a number of little moves that Chris, the lesser moves, as you say, that Chris has made that I really think have filled in our roster. I think Colts fans should be really excited right now. I mean, I know you don't want to get overhyped and get, uh, you know, you rather under promise and over deliver and all that stuff, but I'm excited. I, I think our, I think Colts nation should be excited. This, this roster is a good roster, good players, good talent, and equally as important uh, to Colts nation. These are, these are good men. These are good men who, uh, who will represent us well on the field. Hey, Bob Kravitz. Hey, Frank. Hey, Bob. Yeah, you know, did you see enough of Paris Campbell in the limited amount of time that he played in practice to get a sense of what you can anticipate this coming year? And secondly, with Pittman in-house now, do you see uh, Paris move to the slot more frequently, or how, how do you expect that to roll? Yeah, um, well, I'll just say at the outset, I'm super pumped about Paris's where the upside is. But to answer your question directly, no, I mean, we didn't get to see him enough. I mean, he's hurt a lot. He was hurt a lot. And um, I, I'm, I'm proud of the way Paris has been handling the offseason. He's been doing everything possible. I mean, he is working out hard. I, I'm, I'm staying very much in touch with him and with the trainers and what he's doing and just kind of watching that whole process unfold. He's really determined. Now, you know, he's still got to have things go his way and stay healthy. Um, but he missed a lot of practice time too, Bob, to your point. It wasn't just that he missed games. He missed a lot of practice, missed the off season. I mean, he missed most of the off season. We didn't get to see him a ton in the off season, but, but, you know, of course we've all been around enough that I've, I see things in Paris. I see wide receiver. I see really good wide receivers. Obviously we all see the speed, but I think he's got deceptive power. And I, I really think he's got the footwork where he can play inside or out. To your point, he will play more in the slot this year, but you guys know how we do things. We'll move him around. We, we'll, we'll move him or we'll move everybody around. That's just the way we roll. We don't, you play one position receiver, you need to play all three. That's just how we think because we need to move guys around to scheme things up and to do what we do with personnel things and to accentuate what each guy does best. But super excited about Paris and just need to get him on the field so he can develop um, more as a route runner. Hey, Jim Aiello. Morning, Frank. Hey, Jim. I just wanted to ask, it was kind of maybe picking up, piggybacking off of what Zach asked, but it was just kind of going back to the beginning of the offseason and, and listening to you and, and Chris talk about the things this team needed to do to improve. And, and if you, I'm sure you remember going through and watching the tape with, with Chris and going through all those things, and you look at the moves now that have been made to address those, those needs, do you feel like you guys just kind of went through and, and checked off all the boxes that, that you needed to during this offseason? Yeah, I think we I think we made the progress we wanted to make, and every you know every team goes through a similar exercise. I'm I'm sure, but like one of the first things we do as soon as the season is over, you know we we go through our assessment of our own personnel, and then we develop a needs list. You know we develop a needs list, and you know offensively and defensively, and and this in the way that it's organized is very very good. Um, the way that I work with the staff on it, Chris works with everybody on it. But, hey, assess the needs. So we get in an offensive unit, defensive unit. We talk about needs in depth. You know, 
our roster, what we need, what we're planning on doing, so on and so forth. And then we prioritize those, you know, so the offense will prioritize their needs, the defense will prioritize their needs. Um, and then basically Chris and I will take that and then we'll meld that together um, to see who gets, and it's always a big joke, by the way, right? Who's going to get preference, right? Offense or defense and the need, whose needs are going to get, how are they going to get stacked when they actually get together? That always is a, is a little bit of a laugh, but um, so yeah, th that's what we do. It got prioritized. And as you look at what we were prioritizing, um, we did, we did a lot. We accomplished a lot of what we wanted to accomplish. Okay, Greg Doyle. Frank, the, the background behind you, this is not my real question, but it's a question. Uh, the background behind you, did you do that? Did the Colts IT do it for you? Did you have to download something onto Zoom? How did that, where'd that come from? And yeah. Why, why, why? Uh, I, yeah, I just downloaded it from the internet. So went, went to the Colts logo, you know, just Google Colts logo and just kept experimenting with see which one I like best. How techy are you? Okay, then. Um, it seems like it's been a slow build for a couple of years with Chris. Uh, he, he loves those linemen. He loves those draft picks and all that stuff. Um, and this offseason, not so much. Uh, how much of that is predicated because of Philip Rivers? That's the guy you got, and therefore you can't afford to slow build anymore? Or how much of that was just the roster was ready? Uh, I think it was, I think it was both of those things that you just said. I think the roster was ready. I think the opportunity, I just think it shows, uh, you know, you got to be able to adapt and, you know, you, you got to have your core principles and you know how, what our core principles are. We build from the inside out starting up front. Well, um, so hence DeForest Buckner, but, um, and although, but Philip is in the equation of inside out as well, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's inside out. So, and it was ready and the opportunity was there. We've, we've said that a couple of times where it, this is just a really unique opportunity. And the further, I can just tell you this, and I know we still got to play games and all that stuff. And that's the exciting part. But the further we get into this process with Philip, the more I'm convinced that was the right move for us. Um, I, I just, this guy is an elite quarterback. And I, I think, you know, with this roster and we got to stay healthy and we got to get some breaks. We all know that it's hard. There's a lot of good football teams out there. We got a lot to prove. We got a lot to prove and it's not, you know, it's not going to be easy, but um, I, I just think the roster was right. The time was right. And the opportunity was there. Okay. Uh, Mike Wells. Uh, hey Frank, sorry about that. Frank, as you go through these virtual offseason programs, uh, we've all been in classrooms and we know things can get stagnant and, uh, the attention span gets shorter. Do you guys do anything to kind of keep things loose, to keep guys locked in and so they don't get, you know, kind of jury-eyed and kind of look like they're ready to fall asleep during these off-season meetings, these virtual meetings? Yeah. Um, yes, Mike. Um, yeah, we do. Uh, every week we talk about it. I'll always ask the coordinators each week, hey, what do you guys, what do you guys got this week? Let's, let me hear your ideas. I, I want – I want our three coordinators sharing ideas with each other. So it's kind of best practices. Um, you know, we all have friends around the league. I think we're all calling one or two friends, you know, looking for ideas to stay creative, stay in front of the curve, so to speak, keep the players engaged. But the best thing we got going for us is our players. They know this time is important. And the other thing we did um, that you guys probably noticed was those first three weeks, we were going four sessions a week. We were going Monday through Thursday. So, um, and we did three weeks of four sessions a week. We're now in a phase where we're going four weeks of three sessions a week. So that's obviously intentional, right? That's intentional. Keep it fresh. 
Um, so we're going Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So we try to do a little, we do competition stuff. Um, you know, I, one day, I can't remember if I told you guys this one day we we're on there with the rookies uh, playing tic-tac-toe, you know, with this with the tool. I mean, just for fun, just have pit, put two guys against each other and uh, doing it where you have to play fast and just having, you know, take five minutes or, or seven minutes and just play a game. Uh, last week, I think Nick with the offense picked a couple teams and are fooling around. They're playing uh, Pictionary, right? They're, they're playing Pictionary uh, just for just for five minutes, you know, just a little icebreaker, just keep it fun, keep it light. Um, but then we know when it's time to work, we get after it. You know, we get after it. You know, we brought the speakers in. Um, so it's, it's a mix, and we'll continue to do that um, as long as we're in the space. Okay, last one here, Kevin Bowen. Hey, Frank, um, any concern over your offensive line depth? Obviously, you didn't need it last year, um, but you've you know, per, you know, mentioned eight, nine guys you need on a 53 at all times and then losing Joe and Josh this, this offseason. Yeah, no, uh, we talked a lot about that. And, you know, we were very excited to get Danny Pittner, think that he can – think that he adds good depth. Um, and then we just keep developing. So, uh, yeah, we don't – I really am hopeful, um, Kevin, that, yeah, we can go again with our same five starters playing every snap. I don't know how realistic that is. Um, that ever been done, Chap? Two years in a row. Not here. Two years in a row? Not here. Anywhere? I mean, I some – you guys know. I mean, I wonder what the record is. I wonder what the record is of consecutive games. I'm, I'd be curious what that is. I'll get uh, on that. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kevin, we, it is. It's. Well, I don't want to say concern. It's always a priority. It's always a priority. Uh, you know, if the right opportunity would have fell in the draft, we it would have. You know, there was discussion of finding the right guy, but it just didn't fall that way. It just didn't fall that way for us. So. Um, we're always have our eyes open, always, you know, continuing to build. And we think some of the other guys we have, we, we, we think Jake's a good player. We think Jake Elderkamp can continue to develop. He adds good depth for us inside. And, and a couple of the new guys that we brought in, you know, uh, from last year, we, we think we'll continue to develop there and keep our eyes open. That was Colts head coach Frank Reich speaking with the media this week. And Joe, out of all the topics uh, that that Coach Reich spoke about, I thought one of the more intriguing ones was when he was talking about um, rookie wide receivers and why some of them tend to struggle and just main reasons in his mind. And really, there were two of them. And I, of course, I found this interesting because, A, the Colts have a rookie wide receiver in Michael Pittman Jr., who you expect to have a big role this year. And B, it's something that that, that across the NFL – this was one of the biggest, one of the best wide receiver classes we've seen, if not in recent memory, in long-term memory as well. So um, what, what Coach had to say was really two, two parts, that in the NFL, press coverage is just much better. And two, the, uh, just the offenses are much more complex. Because in college, being, being in college, you get a limited amount of time with coaches. There, there are NCAA regulations about how much time they can spend with with their players and how much time they can be in meetings and how much time they can be on the practice field. Of course, that's the same thing in the NFL. There are limits to that uh, too with the uh, NFL Players Association, but it's certainly not as stringent as it is with the, uh, the NCAA. So you get a lot more time with your players now. You can do much more complicated things. And so uh, offenses are more complicated. Defenses are, are a little bit more uh, in your face. So that, those, are, those are two things that Michael Pittman Jr. is going to have to battle uh, now that he is, he's a professional wide receiver. 
Sure, and those are two things that can really slow a wide receiver down. You know, if you're struggling to grasp the offense, it's hard to play fast when you're out there thinking instead of reacting. And then another thing Wright kind of talked about is just uh, how much more players are grabbed and kind of pulled and twisted in the NFL. Um, he said both legally and illegally, you know, some of those veterans are pretty sly at getting those little pulls and tugs in there. Um, so uh, a lot of these wide do uh, all the little tricks that the veteran backs have up their sleeve. That's something that um, I'm excited about Pittman because he was he's entering the NFL a little more developed and refined than some players, um, especially compared to Paris Campbell. I, I would say he's already entering the NFL a little more refined as a route runner than Campbell simply because what he was asked to do in college. So that really stuck out to me as well, just kind of talking about wide receivers because you talk about Pittman you could almost throw Campbell in there in that mix because he missed a lot of the off season so the Colts almost have two rookie wide receivers and we'll get more into Campbell later in the podcast but um I agree I thought that really stood out from what Wright had to say and of course we can't forget Desmond Patton who was drafted later in the draft this, this year by the Colts out of Washington sure. State as well so but uh, but but yeah you're completely right um about Paris Campbell that uh he was he was asked to do limited things at Ohio State. He had a role, and that's something that he talked about that we'll hear from him later, that the coach said, hey, this is what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to be the screen guy. You're going to be the quick slant guy. You're going to take those short passes, and we'll try to get some blockers out in front of you, and we'll see what you can do with your speed, which is, is a great strategy, obviously, and it worked really well. It got him to be a second-round pick in the NFL draft, and he was very, very good at it. So he, he's... It, it just because a player isn't asked to do more things doesn't mean he can't do more things. And that's, of course, something that we've heard from Frank Reich multiple times. Even last year during training camp, I remember uh, Paris makes this one really good uh, play, one really good catch in the end zone. And we talked to Reich after practice. He was like, that looked like a real NFL receiver. Right. Just because this was this was a topic last year that what exactly is Paris Campbell? Is he a gadget guy or is he uh, could he be more polished and more refined? And Obviously, the coach, Colts coaching staff believe that believe that he can be, and uh, we'll we'll get a little bit more into wide receivers uh, in a bit. Um, but I I also want to touch on one more thing with Frank Reich before we uh, kind of get into a little bit more of the meat and potatoes discussion of the offense today. Saying um, uh, how can you evaluate this rookie class was a question that was asked to him. How can you evaluate them? And and I liked his answer because like he said he he gave you one or two paragraphs in an answer. But at the same time, I don't think he really said all that much, Joe. Like he, he was he was a master of kind of um, weaving some words together to make it sound like, yeah, we could get to know him a little bit as people. But at the same time, you, you can't replace what's what you see on the field and the trials you can put guys through on the field and how they react to the adversity they face on the field that is unique to being on the field in football. So the, the, the amount of evaluation that the Colts coaches are doing now is certainly not zero but it is absolutely very limited right now. Sure. And I mean, that's kind of a reoccurring theme with, you know, all the coaches and players we talk to is they, they they're excited about the work they're doing now because that's all they have at the moment. You got to be excited when, about it or else. Yeah, exactly. But then um, when the real question comes up about getting on the field, every player and coach will admit to you, yeah, there's no substitute for getting out there on the field and actually working through being around the guys um, so I think that's something that both players, coaches, and fans, everyone is looking forward to. 
um, with this COVID-19 shutdown, getting players back on the field, getting back to some kind of normalcy um, in life and in NFL. I thought another thing that was one of the big takeaways I took from Frank Wright is how excited he was about the roster additions and the way Chris Ballard was really building up the roster. Um, it, it stood out to me how he said he liked how Ballard got to know his coaches before he went out and just started making all these moves, which is, I think, really important. A lot of times you'll see a very talented player end up in a landing spot that might not suit their skills, and it doesn't exactly, it doesn't exactly mesh, and the success doesn't come. I'm telling you right now that Bjorn Werner is exactly that player because just because I watched him in college and I saw his talent and he did not work here. I know Colts fans do not think very highly of him. I understand why. I think in a better in a different place he could have been a better player. And you're right. For a GM and a coach to work together, if you can find a GM and coach and a coaching staff to work together and not to butt heads over their own egos and say, well, this guy is great. You got to fit him in somewhere or you got to get this guy. He'll fit in perfect in our system. And that just come head to head, like boom, boom, over and over again. That's not a relationship that's going to work with Reich and Ballard. You get the sense that they do work a little bit more together than um, I don't know about the average NFL GM and, and head coach, but you get the sense that they certainly work together and they care about the other person's opinion. Yeah, they, they seem to really agree on a lot of things that they consider to be valuable and their priorities seem to line up. And that's uh, that works well when evaluating players and prioritizing different players, different positions of need. So uh, I think over the last few years, um, the Colts have taken some players who weren't obvious, talented players. They weren't obvious that they were going to be productive and they come to the Colts system and produce because the system fits what the player is good at. Absolutely. So now, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about offense today with Mike Chapel out for the week. That means Joe and I can talk a little fantasy football. We are <laughs> pumped up to do so. Uh, we won't get too much into fantasy until the regular season, of course, a little bit closer when more drafts are being done. But even right now, you hear like there are some uh, some drafts right now or dynasty drafts that uh, that go on this time every year after uh, after the NFL draft is done um, that you can uh, add to your dynasty leagues, whatever it might be. And the Colts certainly have a couple of playmaking rookies that that will be intriguing to dynasty leagues out there. Um, so Joe and I, we're going to go by kind of position by position uh, around the Colts offense. We'll talk a little bit about what's expected nationally, at least right now, uh, based on certain projections that I've seen out there. Um, I've got the uh, the ESPN fantasy football draft sheet right here in front of me. I've got all the uh, the Colts players highlighted on just as a um, as a uh, reference point. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll start with quarterback. Obviously, uh, Philip Rivers is going to have an impact on this Colts offense. At the beginning of last year, Jacoby Brissett was a viable fantasy quarterback. He had a couple of touchdowns in each of those first couple games, even though he wasn't throwing um, significant yardage. He was throwing for two to three touchdowns a game. And so if you have a guy that that is consistently producing in the red zone, that is producing touchdowns, that is someone who is fantasy relevant. Um, Joe, I was, I was a little surprised, at least on this, uh, on this fantasy, uh, cheat sheet that I have in front of me of how low Rivers was in, in some aspects, I guess I was surprised he's all the way down at 25th among this specific set of quarterback rankings. So if you're in a 10 person league or a 12 person league, you, you're, he's not even a backup. Um, like you have your one, your two, and 25th is down one after the very last backup if each team has two quarterbacks on it. 
I think, obviously, if you're in a league full of Colts fans, somebody is going to draft Phillip Rivers. That that goes without saying. But I thought the 25 was remarkably low in my estimation. Yeah, uh, I, I could see some Colts fans going for him. Honestly, I don't think it's crazy low. He finished roughly 20th last season. Um, and then he, he comes to a Colts system where they're going to stress running the ball a lot. Um, a, another thing holding Rivers back is he's not going to give you anything rushing the football whatsoever. Um, so I think when you, when you kind of look at the list, a lot, got a lot of the guys at the top, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, uh, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, all those guys offer you extra points from running the football. And I think that's something that really holds Rivers back. And even when you talk about Brissett, a lot of his more productive games are games where he scored a touchdown running the ball. Um, so I think that's that, that's something you need to think about when considering Rivers is um, he might have a pretty safe floor and he might be a good streaming option week to week if the Colts have a matchup against a very weak defense or against a team who's going to score a lot of points like a shootout against the Chiefs or something like that. But I, I don't think Rivers will be a quarterback that you can rely on. You can draft and just set him in your lineup. Boom, done every week. Um, I, I think he'll have more of a fantasy impact on the Colts team in general um Colts scoring last year uh they scored about 22 points a game that was kind of middle of the road I don't think it's crazy with Rivers to think that the Colts will average one additional touchdown more per game um so I think just that added opportunity there's going to be more meat on the fantasy bone so to say so there'll be more opportunities for other players other running backs tight ends wide receivers to score more fantasy points Something else that I'll add, and, and you kind of touched on it, is having to do with the Colts' schedule. Uh, Rivers will be a good streaming option, specifically because, at least it looks like right now, because the Colts have the easiest schedule in the NFL. And it's by a fairly significant margin um, in terms of what is expected about teams this season. So the Colts are going to play more teams that you would think um, that they have more of a chance to win, especially at the beginning of the year. So it's quite possible that you get... Philip Rivers comes out gangbusters at the start of the year and uh, through the first six, seven weeks is maybe a top 15 fantasy quarterback. I think that's very reasonable to, to expect from uh, the, the schedule they have in front of him that he's a top 15, even a top 10 quarterback. Um, but after that, when it gets more difficult during the second half of the season, after that buy, that might be it might be a little bit more. Uh, he may be a little bit more unreliable as a fantasy producer. And of course, as every significant uh, long-term fantasy player will tell you, that's where you make your bones in the second half of the season, especially during the playoffs, week 14, 15, 16. If you don't have a great, as a quarterback, great week 14, 15, 16 schedule, um, then then hold on a second. You might want to tap the brakes about taking this guy in your draft as, as, your, as, as a guy you want to rely on. Uh, but again, I, I think if you're, if you're in the option, if you have the option of him as your second quarterback, I think that's a reasonable decision. Um, it just depends, of course, on who your starting quarterback is and where your buy is and where who the Colts are playing that week. Of course, all that stuff. If you play fantasy, you know these things. But um, I, I just want to let you know what, what the national percep perception is of Phillip Rivers. Down, he's at, like I said, he's at 25. That's right around the same likes as Teddy Bridgewater with Carolina, who's ranked 26th in this post. Derek Carr is 24th in this post. Gardner Minshew up there at 23rd. You might raise your eyes at that because the Jaguars are going to be awful this year, we all expect. But 
Blake Bortles put up some good seasons when the Jaguars were awful throwing the ball. If, if your team is awful and you're always behind, you're always going to be throwing the ball. And also with Gardner, something that, Joe, you mentioned, he's going to be running the ball as well. So he's going to get maybe some more rushing points that someone like Phillip Rivers might not get. Absolutely. And I think um, something we have to mention with Rivers is, and any new player joining a new team is maybe tamper expectations, especially at the beginning of the season. Um, and when, once we see how much work they'll be able to get in during training camp and things like that, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's reasonable to expect Rivers just to come out guns blazing, playing with a bunch of players that he doesn't have much experience with. I know he's familiar with the system and that'll help, but just getting timing down with all of these guys is something that, I mean, it's no joke. It's a big deal. So um, while his schedule is easier early in the season, um, I, I, I might wait a game or two before I feel comfortable starting Rivers just to see how, you know, in sync he is with his weapons, with his receivers and with the team in general. Yeah, um, I don't, but, I don't think but, you want to start him week one. That, that would be a, a, a tough, a tough sell for me, for sure. But, that would be a pretty bold move coming out. You got to be a pretty big Colts fan. Yeah. You know, Jag- Jaguars week one, their defense is rebuilding, but probably not going to risk it with Rivers. Week two against the Vikings, that's a tough matchup. Maybe by week three against the Jets, Rivers might be a good streaming option there. Um, but again, I, I, I like Rivers as a decent quarterback too, but I like even more what he does for the West, rest of the weapons in the Colts offense. Well, let's move on to the rest of those weapons of the Colts offense. Then we'll go to wide receiver next, those that will be more directly impacted, most directly impacted uh, by Phillip Rivers. I think a big question, obviously, is what to expect from T.Y. Hilton, because last year was, was, I will say significantly, his worst year in the NFL. Um, Didn't have a reception over 40 yards. Um, It was limited in his touchdowns, limited in his touches, missed a bunch of games, missed so many games, like more than the rest of his rest of his career he so the question becomes for for ty is he old and injured now or was that an aberration and i think i think it's an aberration but at the same time i can't tell you for sure because he just passed the 30 year old threshold i i have enough faith in ty i would draft him in my fantasy league as maybe my second wide receiver but we've talked about this too with even touched on it with chap in our very limited uh fantasy discussions with mike chapel um, if there's your top tier wide receivers in terms of fantasy, you got your Michael Thomases, you got your DeAndre Hopkinses, you got your Julio Joneses. I think I, I, I once again, I don't think you can put T.Y. Hilton up among those. But if there's a second tier or even a 2A, 2B tier, T.Y. is probably in there right now if he can capture what he had two years ago. If he can, again, be a guy that can take a top off the of defense, which... I really think that's what the Colts coaching staff wants to do. And something that was obviously lacking last year with Jacoby Brissett as quarterback. It's something that they have said repeatedly, the coaching staff has, that Phillip Rivers has done throughout his career. So they want to go deep. They want to get T.Y. Hilton beyond the defense. They want to give him opportunities. Is he going to be able to take advantage of him is a big question for him this year in his career. Yeah, and it's a question that hopefully we'll be able to get closer to an answer of once we get closer to the start of the regular season. If we start to see reports, you know, Hilton and Rivers in sync already in training camp. And if Hilton has, you know, no issues with injuries by training camp, maybe start to feel a little better. But he is one of those wide receiver twos who's, I don't want to say high risk, high reward, but kind of high upside and low up, low downside kind of guy. Because if he gets injured again, uh, I mean, 
there's nothing worse than having an injured star on your fantasy team. He just does nothing for you. Um, but if he sinks with Phillip Rivers and he gets back to averaging, you know, close to 15 yards per catch and all that, um, he could actually come out of value this year because of all the risks surrounding him. Some fantasy owners might try and avoid T.Y. Hilton for some sexier options out there. There's a lot of young receivers who could break out in year two who are going around the range as Hilton. There's a lot of solid but not, I don't know, exciting guys like Robert Woods type player around that same range. So Hilton could be a guy who pays big dividends in the Colts offense. I think he's a fair RB or uh, wide receiver two to take, um, but he does come with some risk, and that has to be considered when building your roster. In this draft uh, sheet in front of me, T.Y. Hilton's the 20th ranked wide receiver, and some of those uh, some of those second year or young wideouts that you're mentioning that might be drafted around the same time as him or even above him just because people are excited about their potential are guys like Indy's own Terry McLaurin with uh, Washington, uh, Calvin Ridley with uh, with Atlanta, A.J. Brown with Tennessee. So those are all guys that you could you look at and say, hey, here's what they did year one. You expect more year two Um, with T.Y. was here. Here's what we saw last year. He's dealing with getting back from the injury. He's going to deal with a new quarterback. So there are probably more questions with T.Y. than there are with some of these other younger guys, even though for the younger guys, it's kind of similar. Can they repeat what they did year one? You know, so there's questions with any, any fantasy guy, but people might be more willing to take a flyer on one of those with the anticipation of a higher upside potentially uh, than than T.Y. Hilton can possibly provide. If we go beyond T.Y. Hilton, the Colts next two options at wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell. I don't think anybody right now knows which one of those two is going to be given more opportunity in this offense. And that's a big question that we are going to have to watch very carefully with whatever access we get to Colts practice and Colts training camp once they get on the field. Is either one of them developing a rapport with Phillip Rivers? Is either one of them matching, staying healthy? Is either one of them Rivers looking for them in the red zone, whatever it might be? Uh, as of right now, again, on the sheet in front of me, Joe, we got – They're both in the 60s on this list. You got Michael Pittman Jr. at 60 and Paris Campbell at 65. I think it's really going to, it's right now, it's very much a crapshoot. Which one of them gets more receptions or which one of them just gets more yards and more looks this year? Because right now they're really very much battling for the the second spot, uh, the second look at wide receiver behind T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, uh, it's really, we're going to have to see how it plays out. If I had to put money right now, I'm going to go with Pittman Jr. Um, I I think one of the reasons is he's a much bigger red zone threat. He's a guy who um, Phillip Rivers can toss the ball up in the red zone. He could use his big body to come down with the ball. That's something Paris Campbell just doesn't bring to the equation. Um, Another thing is blocking. Michael Pittman Jr. is a great blocker in college. He's played special teams. He's big. He's tough. So when you have those two wide receiver sets out there, it's probably going to be Michael Pittman Jr. more than Paris Campbell, even on running plays, which you think wouldn't matter on fantasy. But the, the more a player is on the field, the better. The more a player can do, the longer they can just stay on the field, the more opportunities they're going to end up having to stuff their stat sheet. Um, I think there will be weeks where Paris Campbell, you know, if he stays healthy, goes off because he's the type of guy who can, you know, he needs one touch to take it 90 yards and it's a touchdown and boom, that's your fantasy week for you. Uh, but I think consistently week in, week out, Pittman Jr. is going to be the more reliable guy. But I think um, Campbell certainly will have those big boom weeks every once in a while. 
Campbell also needs to hold on to the dang ball because he he had some some fumbleitis last year, and if you can if you can put that in the past and move on, that would uh, certainly go a long way in endearing you to to the coaching staff, to a quarterback, and uh, really to uh, to an offensive playmaking set that like like we've been talking about now has some options. You know, it, it's not necessarily this guy, then this guy, then this guy. Um, although you certainly place T.Y. Hilton above the others. Um, it's Pittman and Campbell, you know, hey, if one of them's not performing, well, we have another option right here. And the same goes for uh, for tight end as well. Um, that, hey, if you're not producing, well, we can go more to the tight end. We can throw more to Jack Doyle. We can throw more to Trey Burton. And uh, Doyle comes in at about 17th uh, on this list of tight ends that I'm looking at, uh, this uh, fantasy football draft sheet, um, right around the Hayden Hursts and the Dallas Goddards. Uh, and Colts fans will be happy to know that two behind Jack Doyle on this list at number 19 is one Eric Ebron. So uh, Jack Doyle surpassing uh, the former Colt right there on this preseason uh, Colts, well, this preseason NFL fantasy cheat sheet. So um, we, we've we've mentioned it many times, Joe, that uh, uh, Jack Doyle is Jack uh, 9.6 yards per catch Doyle. He's not a guy that's going to wow you with a uh, trip down the seam and a 35-yard catch every other week, you know? He's going to be the guy that moves the chains on third down. He's going to be the guy that turns a second and second and 13 after you lose yards into a third and three, if possible. Um, that makes it much more, much more of a um, much more makeable third down situation. And he's going to be there in the red zone as well. He always scores a couple touchdowns. But if you're looking for a stud tight end, sorry, Jack Doyle is not going to be your guy. As much as you love to have him on your team and cheer for him, if you have him on your fantasy team, you're really hoping for more of an aberration to do uh, to put you over the top uh, yeah, during your fantasy week. Yeah, Jack Doyle definitely doesn't have the most upside. Um, I think he does benefit from Eric Ebron moving on in the offseason, and Trey Burton's still recovering from injury. So it, we'll see how he progresses in that, but you got to think at least to start practice time with Phillip Rivers, Jack Doyle's going to get way more work than Burton. So Having that role almost to himself, you'd say the Colts always use multiple tight ends, but Jack Doyle is the clear lead dog in the um, tight end receiving target pecking order now. So I think he'll be, I think he'll end up, I don't know, around tight end 12, tight end 10. He'll be steady, he'll be reliable, but he's not going to win you your week. Um, and if you're drafting Jack Doyle, you'll probably want to draft another tight end who has more upside. Um, someone like a Noah Fant from Denver, some of these young tight ends who could certainly blow up. And if it doesn't work, you have old, steady, reliable Jack Doyle, who's not going to win you your week, but he's not going to lose it for you either. And I'd be remiss if we didn't mention I, we went past wide receivers without talking Zach Pascal because he had several fantasy relevant weeks last week, last year, absolutely for sure. But if you have a healthy Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman Jr. does what you expect, Joe. I don't think that uh, having Zach Pasco on your roster is going to be very beneficial to you in fantasy football this year. Hey, Zach, prove me wrong. Do so. I love you, kid. But at the same time, I don't think that he's going to be very fantasy relevant. Yeah, a lot of Zach's bigger games were when he was forced to be the wide receiver one in the Colts offense because of injury. And the Colts just didn't have much elsewhere to go with the football Um He's certainly a good wide receiver for if a couple injuries happen, maybe he becomes relevant again, but he's certainly not someone who entering the season you expect to have much of an opportunity to put up a lot of points. You'd anticipate that at least one Colts running back will put up some points this year, but it's very much a question about who that is going to be week in and week out. And I think the Colts running back situation is one that is 
it's more than just uh, it's more than just intriguing to Colts fans. This is going to be a backfield that is uh, much talked about in fantasy football circles between now and the start of the season and even throughout the regular season based on what happens from week to week. Uh, who gets more touches, who gets more big plays, who gets more opportunities, whatever it might be. So you got three guys that will be really vying for fantasy relevance. Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naheem Hines. We, we've seen what Marlon Mack can do when given a big load to carry. If he carries it 20, 25 times, if he's a volume guy, he has proven to be a fantasy, uh, I'd say a stud. He, he can be a top 10 running back when given that opportunity especially behind the offensive line that the Colts have. But you throw Jonathan Taylor into the mix, and immediately you don't know, you, you doubt even, I doubt, I don't think that he's going to get that same kind of opportunity. So can Marlon Mack do more with fewer opportunities, with fewer carries? With Jonathan Taylor, can you get thrown in right away and, and succeed? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll read this. This is from uh, Matthew Barry, Syracuse University's own Matthew Barry. Uh, ESPN fantasy writer. Uh, here's the list of running backs in history to win the Doak Walker Award twice. Darren McFadden, Ricky Williams, and Jonathan Taylor. That's it. There are three guys who have stood out in that vein in college football, and uh, Jonathan Taylor is one of them. You don't draft a guy like that to have him sit on your bench watching Marlon Mack get 20, 25 touches a game while he gets 5 to 10. That's just not going to happen. It's going to be more of a quote-unquote by committee. It's probably going to be more ride the hot hand uh, if somebody does get hot. And so, Joe, between those two, between Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, what are your initial thoughts right now before we've seen anybody on the field, before we've seen who lines up with the ones and how many opportunities people are getting, people are getting in camp? Just what do you think we're going to have to look out for, and what do you think between those two guys uh, who might have a better opportunity to be a, even more of a fantasy success than the other this coming season? Yeah, I think I've seen in drafts so far, Taylor's going a couple rounds ahead of Marlon Mack, and I think that's just because people are excited about, I mean, how premier of a talent he is. But I, I would say Jonathan Taylor owners are going to have to be patient because, again, with the limited training camp, the coaches have talked about Taylor needs to get a little better in pass protection. Um, and heaven forbid his fumbling issues come back up and he gets stuck on the bench again. I think Marlon Mack is going to be, he's going to have the lead role at least to enter the season. I think season long, it'll be pretty close to 50-50, assuming both running backs stay healthy. Um, I kind of actually broke it down here before the podcast. Marlon Mack last year ranked 23rd in running back points per game. That's in um, PPR format. So he was already a RB2 um, type of player. And really what was holding him back a lot is lack of receiving role. He only had four catches over his final eight games played, which is basically nothing. Um, so he's not giving you anything in the receiving game. He did average 17 yards per carry, which is sure to go down with Jonathan Taylor in the fold. How many yards per carry? Uh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. He averaged 17 carries per game. I, I knew that Thank that was you wrong. Correcting. You're welcome. Just 17 like, yards per whoa, carry whoa. would be a Hall of Fame. <laughs> no, I apologize. He averaged 17 carries per game, which is sure to go down with Jonathan Taylor in the mix. Um, the Colts ranked fifth in rushing in 2019 with 471 carries. 67 of those were by non-running backs. So quarterbacks, 
Paris Campbell had a few, Pascal had a few. So 404 running back carries. Assuming the Colts stay around that same pace, Mack and Taylor will probably get roughly 180 carries each if they're splitting that workload, which leaves about 44 to Hines and Wilkins. Um, so I think you have to have to assume that Marlon Mack's uh, fantasy impact is going to go down. I, th- I mean, he was a borderline RB2 last season. I think that goes down to RB3 flex type of player um, during the weeks where both Mack and Taylor are healthy. Now, if there's any time or long stretch of time where one of those running back misses, you got yourself a RB1 pretty much in, in this offense and by how much the Colts want to run the ball. Um, so I think both running backs are kind of in that RB three range where you don't want them as your first or second running back, but both have the potential to give you RB two or maybe even RB one numbers if things fall right for them. It's really intriguing. And I like your point about Marlon Mack at the beginning of the season. Um, if you have Marlon Mack on your roster at the beginning of the year and he does well, you might be able to flip him for something with the idea that Jonathan Taylor is going to take take over sometime later in the year. Um, so he might be worth the, the draft pick to add to your roster somehow in the future. Um, so that is just something else to keep in mind there between these two. So uh, obviously we'll be watching those two a lot during training camp, like I said earlier. But um, even though those two are obviously the um, kind of the one the A and one B in the Colts offense for now, uh, the other option of Naheem Hines, um, you got to wonder how the addition of not just Jonathan Taylor to this offense, but also a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. is going to do to Naheem Hines because Hines was also more of a threat out of the backfield. You got to wonder what the addition of a uh, healthy Paris Campbell will do to the opportunities that Naheem Hines get out of the backfield. But also you wonder what the addition of Philip Rivers will do to uh, the uh to Naheem Hines' fancy production. And Rivers has had a great rapport in the past with running backs, being able to find them out of the backfield and let them churn away some yardage like the Colts saw last year. And like I talked about last week here, I think it was last week here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. But um, Joe, I, I think there are going to be weeks when Naheem Hines is a very much uh, fantasy relevant, but it's going to be boom or bust with him. There are going to be times when he gets the ball and he gets seven to 10 catches and especially in PPR, that's nothing to sneeze at. But there are going to be weeks when he gets two catches, and you're just going to have to live with that. You can't rely on him to be in your lineup week after week. But I think depending on who he's facing and what uh, plan the Colts offense has, he's going to be a great streaming option for some weeks during this se- during this season. Yeah, the tough part will just be predicting when those weeks are going to come. I mean, you look at last year in PPR formats, he had – four games of double-digit fantasy points, and one of those was the Carolina game where he was aided by his special teams touchdown. Right. So it's going to be, and I mean, his high-scoring week was the Carolina game, and that was just 13 points. So it's not like his big weeks are huge 25-pointers that win you your week anyway. So um, I know I personally will not be owning Naheem Hines just because it's almost impossible to predict which weeks are going to be his weeks. And when he does have a good week, it's kind of a mild output, 12, 13 fantasy points. It's not like, okay, he could get five or he could get 25. It's he could get five or 12. Um, And then he's going to have less opportunities this year um, because I think the Colts are going to get Jonathan Taylor involved in the passing game as well. 
So I think Marlon, uh, I'm sorry, Naheem Hines becomes a lot more interesting if Mac or Taylor go down and then his role expands. But I know um, in redraft formats, I probably will not be drafting Naheem Hines. You have no faith, Joe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that Hines also taking over as punt return guy could be intriguing too. I'm not saying he's going to get five punt return touchdowns, but that's something as well that, that he brings that maybe some other guys don't that could put him over I let's say I don't know like over a, a Justin Jackson with the Chargers who's right around the same uh, same spot here on the list or a Duke Johnson with Houston or a uh, Joshua Kelly with the Chargers a couple guys with the Chargers there around the same spot so uh, Rashad Penny with the Seahawks uh, so uh, anyway uh, that's uh, Joe you have something to say it looks like yeah the the one last thing we kind of mentioned Dynasty a little bit I, I don't think it's controversial to say that Jonathan Taylor is probably the clear top runner as far as Colts dynasty players you want to go after. Um, Stud running back who, if you look down the line, as you do in dynasty formats, will probably be the main guy next year unless the Colts, uh, in a somewhat surprising move, re-sign Marlon Mack. So I think Jonathan Taylor's the top guy, and then Pittman and uh, Paris Campbell are also pretty intriguing young wide receivers who could blossom into quality players. And that's another point that, again, Syracuse's own Matthew Barry makes uh, talking about Jonathan Taylor in his running backs I love section, saying that uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire might be his number one in dynasty for running backs, but uh, Taylor's right behind him at number two. So um, if you if you have a dynasty league, you would be uh, you would be wise to highly consider the addition of uh of jonathan taylor to your fold so we mentioned earlier that we spoke with paris campbell this week the colts wide receiver who uh last year as a rookie certainly showed promise but at the same time also saw injury after injury after injury so let's listen to what wide receiver paris campbell had to say when speaking with the media this week hey paris um last year it was just an endless round of uh of physical rehab I'm just wondering how you were able to deal with it from an emotional and mental standpoint and how taxing that was and how you dealt with it. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely, like you said, it was very taxing, um, especially for someone who, you know, I've never experienced anything like that. Um, but, you know, I just always stay true to myself. Um, my family was around me to support me during that time. Uh, teammates, coaching staff, um, really everyone around the building just was supporting me. Um, but during that time, you know, injury after injury, rehab, you know, you get, you get to feel kind of lonely. Um, so, you know, I had to, like I said, you know, stick to my family, my support system, um, and they were there for me big time. All right, George Bremer. Paris, thanks for doing this. Uh, last year, obviously you missed all that time. And then this spring there, there's no, you know, everything's shut down. Is there any danger in overdoing it when you do get back on the field? Do you have to hold yourself back at all a little bit? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I feel like uh, during this offseason, even though, you know, with everything going on, I've done a really, really good job of um, getting in a routine, taking care of my body, um, doing things that I wasn't doing before. Um, and I feel like I have a really good grasp on that. Um, I, that, that was one of the things I wanted to change this offseason, um, make sure I have a, you know, a strict routine um, so that my body's in tip-top shape. Um, and I've been, you know, you know kind of simulating things, you know, so when I get back on the field, it's not all new to me again. Um, so I'm just trying to put myself in every situation I can possible. All right, uh, Phil B. Hi, Paris. Thank you for your time, sir. Of course. Uh, 
I saw you play at Ohio State every year you were there, and uh, you never got hurt. You made big plays all the time. Obviously, everything didn't play out the way you wanted last year. Uh, do you go into this year with the mindset that you haven't really shown what you can do or that people will see the real Paris Campbell this time? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm going in uh, with a mindset just, you know, that it's a new year. Um, I've, you know, kind of transformed myself, um, you know, into a pro. Um, and I've, I've been able to see, you know, at least one season. Maybe it's not all 16 games, but I've seen um, just from, you know, watching, being in it, I mean, just getting the experience of being an NFL player, um, you know, just having that having that experience. So it's, it's helped me a lot. Um, I know it's only one year. It's, um, you know, tons of more stuff to learn, tons of more stuff to do, but um, it was a good foundation for me, even though it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Thank you. Jim, Jim Aiello. Hey, Paris. I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, you said you got a new routine. You're doing things now that you haven't, that you haven't done before. I was wondering if you kind of just, you know, provide some insight as to what those things are. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, aside of, you know, obviously working out, conditioning, doing all those things, catching footballs, all that stuff. Um, that's kind of things that I've always done, but just, um, when I speak of the routine, I'm just talking about things to do to take care of my body. So whether that's doing ART twice a week, getting massages three times a week, um, you know, stretching every morning and night, um, I've really kind of honed in on that. Um, just making sure my body's, you know, like I said, in tip top shape. And, you know, as soon as I'm not feeling uh, well one day, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the trainers, even though I can't see them, I'm talking to them, letting them know what's going on, um, seeing what I can do next. Um, but I have a, you know, strict routine, like I said, ART, massages, stretching. Uh, I'm really, you know, honed in on that. All right. Uh, Zach Kiefer. Hey, Paris. Um, new quarterback this year. You got some new offensive weapons as well, and, and Pittman and Taylor. And you can even throw your name into this category because of what we saw last year. But what's your evaluation of how much different the offense is going to look this year compared with what we saw last year? Um, I feel like it's going to be explosive. Um, you just said it yourself, you know, we um, added some new weapons, new quarterback. Um, and just the way, you know, that meetings have been going, I can just tell that everyone's bought in, everyone's super excited. Um, but like you said, we have a lot of weapons, man. I think we can do a lot of damage. Um, but I think the offense is going to be fresh. It's going to be a new look, um, see some new guys, uh, new guys with different abilities. I mean, I feel like we have a room of wideouts. Um, the list goes on of what we're capable of. So uh, I think it's going to be fun. Exciting, explosive. I think it's going to be a good, good year. Uh, Kevin Bowen. Hey, Paris, thanks for doing this. Um, was it frustrating all last year seeing your draft mates, some of the fellow wideouts drafted around you, have the success that they did? And, and did you lean on anyone within the Colts building or, you know, a college teammate, a high school friend, something like that um, throughout this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say it was. Um, I feel like that's human nature um, for anyone, you know, you know, you get drafted, you know, rather high of, you know, other wideouts um, in the draft class um, and to see everybody have that success that they did. Obviously, you know, I saw it, um, you know, and just a competitor inside me, you know, it made me upset and you know, wishing I was able to do things and make plays uh, just as those guys. But, um, you know, I, I know um, and this is just from growing up. I know that everybody's path is different. Um, I know that everything happens for a reason and, you know, uh, I had bumps in my path earlier than some guys. So um, it was just the, the, the hand I was dealt. Um, you know, the one thing I, I learned throughout, throughout all that stuff is, you know, I'm not going to run from anything. Um, I took my problems head on. 
um, and just dealt with them and, you know, got better, learned, um, and moved forward. But a guy I was kind of talking to throughout was Terry McLaurin. I mean, we all seen the season that he had. Um, and it's funny because I feel like a lot of people on the outside looking in um, didn't expect that. Um, but I've, I've known Terry, you know, for five years now, you know, went to college roommates, all that stuff. And um, I knew the type of player he was, so I wasn't surprised. But he was a guy that helped me throughout college, and he helped me throughout those injuries as well. So um, it was kind of cool to, you know, talk to him during those times. And just one one quick follow-up. Are you back running routes, and how long have you been doing that, if so? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm 100%. You know, I say that with a smile because, you know, <laughs> it's fun to do those things again. But I've been doing that um, pretty much for, like, two, two, two and a half months. So ever since kind of the COVID stuff started, I've been full of. All right, Dave Griffiths. Hey, Paris. Uh, you kind of mentioned in your answer about just the new offensive weapons. Goes to the number of offensive weapons you have now. I mean, there's a lot of different guys that, that want rushes, that want targets. So what, what do you have to do to prove to Coach Rice, Sirianni, to, um, to Philip Rivers himself that you can be relied upon week after week to, to get the targets that, that you want in this offense? Yeah, um, you know, so I've been, you know, a guy just to I'm, – I'm here for the team. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes, um, whatever I'm asked. I'm going to do it the very best that I can. Um, and I think that's number one. I think that's going in with the mindset that every time you're called upon um, to do something in the offense, whether it's throw a block, catch a pass, whatever it is, you got to do it to the best of your ability. Um, and I, make sure you're just always doing your job. Um, and then I think other things are going to come, you know. Um, the success is always going to come. Um, if you if you take that mindset. Um, and that's something I've done, you know, my entire playing career. Stephen Holder. Hey, hey Barris. Um, I remember last year when, when you got drafted, Coach was uh, telling us about how he, he thought that you could really be more than what some people saw you as, you know, gadget guy or slot receiver and that kind of thing. And, and I know that was something that was important to you. How, how much progress do you think you were able to make last year in just playing different roles and and just kind of expanding your repertoire. Did you did you feel like you made progress there? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I felt like um, coming in, you know, I had that label. I mean, and I, I mean, I wasn't mad at it, you know, at Ohio State, really. I mean, that was kind of my role. You know, I was a screen guy, jet sweep guy, short, quick slant, stuff like that. Um, so that was all people saw. Um, but honestly, um, the person that I am and knowing what I could do, I always knew that I could do more. Um, and I think – um, that's what the whole entire Colts organization saw me um, do throughout the draft process and the combine and all that stuff. They they saw my ability to um, not just be limited to slide and all those gadget plays. So um, I think they knew that ahead of time. Um, but definitely, you know, just the more reps that I get um, at playing outside receiver or whatever it is, um, definitely think um, you know, I'm just continuing to get better with it. And just to, to follow up, that, that that's a big emphasis in this organization, isn't it? Like you need to at your position, it seems like you really need to be able to do multiple things and play multiple oh, yeah. spots. How important is that? Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, Coach Wright preaches that, um, you know, often. Um, you know, in this offense, you know, we, we don't really have, you know, certain label guys and we don't have slot guys. Uh, maybe I'll play more in the slot, but uh, we definitely have to move around and scheme uh, different defenses up. So, um, and that's one thing about our room. Um, we have wideouts who are capable, like I said, of multiple different things. So we're, we're able to switch guys around and put them in different positions, and that's advantage, Coach. All right. Uh, Bob Kravitz again. Yeah, Paris, I'm curious what you learned. You, you touched on this before, but what you learned about yourself uh, throughout this process. And uh, a second question, you talked about your support system. 
can you uh, be more specific about, I think you've got a young family and a child. Yeah. Um, so obviously my support system starts with my fiance and my son. Um, and then just branches out, you know, my mother, stepdad, grandparents, sisters, cousins, everybody. So, um, but I really was able to kind of grow with uh, my fiance at the time. Uh, she was really there for me in that moment, you know, just because I saw her on a daily basis. Um, you know, I was talking to my mom often, you know, FaceTime calls, all the whole nine. Um, so they were, they were really there for me in that moment. Um, you know, I just was learning things about myself. Um, I learned that I'm human. <laughs> um, you know, you, we kind of get caught up in, you know, you know, we're football players, we're big time people. Um, but, you know, we, we face real adversity as well. And um, that was my, that was some adversity that I faced. And honestly, up to that point, um, I couldn't I couldn't say that there was really any real adversity that I had faced in my life. So um, it was something I was challenged with. Um, but I, like I said, I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I'm taking you know challenges head on. You know, I'm not running from them, um, and I really feel like I came on top of them. Andrew Walker, um, I know you're not limited to the slot like we were just talking about, but I'm sorry, I have a slot specific question. Um, why is your speed so important there? Like just and studying film and what you've seen so far at this level, when you have a guy like you with speed and maybe a little bit more size and strength than some might expect, how, how specifically can you take advantage with some of those matchups and the weapons around you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just said it yourself, the matchup. Um, I think slot receiver is all about matchups. Um, and that's, that's where the, you know, the game plan and the scheme comes in. Um, but a lot of times when you're in a slot, you know, unless the defense is in, in nickel and nickel and bringing in an extra DB, um, majority of the time you're lined up against safeties, uh, sometimes even linebackers, you know, who aren't, uh, you know, as I don't want to say as athletic, but, you know, the speed may, may not be up to a par. Um, so it's definitely just a, a matchup thing. And, you know, having, having you know, the, the things that I have, I think um, it just works well. Okay, we go a couple more. Jake Arthur. Uh, yeah, thanks, Paris. Uh, so before last season, we heard that you were kind of attached to T.Y. Hilton's hip, trying to learn and, and kind of grow as much as you can. How has you guys' relationship developed over that last year? Um, uh, it's just continued to grow, man. Um, and I, I would say that T.Y. kind of just became a friend for me as well. Um, not only a leader um, in the wideout room, a leader to me, um, but he really became a friend for me. Um, I mean, we all know that T.Y. loves to joke around, and um, that was kind of something that kept my spirits up, you know, day in and day out. Um, knowing a guy like that, you know, who, who is our leader, you know, he loves to come, come to work and, and do what he does. So... Um, that was huge for me, um, especially, I mean, you know, coming in, you know, you, you, you see and think of T.Y. Hilton's name. You know, he's a superstar. Um, you never know, you know, how, how those guys are going to act. But T.Y.'s, you know, as down to earth as anyone. So that was huge for me. And last one, Taylor Tannenbaum. Um, I know some people are big on visualizing, and I know you've been through a lot this year mentally. I don't know if, if goal, a list of goals is something you've maybe made. Um, and if so, if you want to share that, I mean, what are some things heading into year two that, that you are dead set on accomplishing? Yeah. Um, so just going back, um, my number one goal of all uh, was to, you know, have a, a set routine. Um, and like I said, just going back to taking care of my body, um, not only doing those things, but, you know, eating the right things, making sure I'm fueling myself with the right things. Um, and then going into the season, obviously, um, I have a main goal of, you know, playing every game that we play. Um, I, I want to be on the field. Um, I feel like when I, if, I, if I'm on the field, you know, it's an, an advantage for us. Um, and that's how I look at myself. You know, I look at myself as a key playmaker. So 
I mean, as long as I'm on the field, I feel like we're in a good spot. Um, so I, there, there's other things that I have um, that, you know, I, I really want to keep to myself right now. But um, just main goals is, you know, having that routine and, you know, playing all games. And that again, Colts second year wide receiver, Paris Campbell. Uh, Joe, I, I think Colts fans should be encouraged with how Paris Campbell was talking about his health right now. That, hey, he feels 100%. There's no lingering injuries. There's no lingering problems from last year. He's working out fine. He's running routes, whatever it might be that he needs to do, he is doing right now. And um, it, it was, like he said, last year in his career, over his career, from high school to college to now, was the exception, not the rule. He has not been injury prone in the past. But now the challenge, of course, is you're in the NFL now. Things are a little bit different. What is demanded of your body is increased. So, can has your body fully recovered when you get on the football field and you're performing more football plays can it hold up and i i he's definitely sound he definitely sounds optimistic that it can we'll have to find out if it can when he takes the field yeah he seems very confident in the routine he mentioned several times um he talked about just really stretching his body making sure his body is flexible so it can take those hits so he doesn't pull something when he tries to run around I've been looking up trying to figure out what ART is, and all I just get is art uh, <laughs> in Google. But <laughs> I will figure it out one day what he was referring to when he said he's been doing ART. Um, if any of you listeners know what that means, reach out to us at Colt Blue Zone on Twitter and please let me know um, because I am interested in whatever ART might be. And you can follow the Colts Blue Zone on Twitter, at Colts Blue Zone, for Colts news and notes throughout the week, also from the NFL. Certainly listening right now with, with uh, the NHL announcing some return dates, with the NBA, it seems like getting in that direction to announce their plans as certain details of plans or discussions tend to leak out. Um, I bet the NFL won't be too far behind with what they want to do come the fall. They do still have a little bit of time, though, more time than the, uh, than the NBA, than the NHL, than these other leagues do. So there's no real necessary need, I don't think, Joe, for the NFL to come out and announce what they're doing for training camp. Um, it, I would be uh, – I doubt that they're going to get anything in for veteran minicamp here in June now that it's almost June now. Um, so really the first opportunity is probably going to be come in late July and August for them to be back together, be on the field um, if, if indeed, uh, different local, uh, governments allow those things. So, uh, I, I really do anticipate that nothing's going to happen over the summer. The off season program is not a wash, but, uh, in person, you're not going to get anything done since coaches aren't even allowed back in team buildings just yet. I think that's a next step that the NFL has said, Hey, that's going to come in the, uh, like next week or the, the week after that, if I remember correctly. But, um, nevertheless, uh, you're, 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 you're just waiting for, for training camp now. And if things uh, are opening up more between now and then, if there isn't a uh, nasty second wave of the virus that hits, uh, then then knock on wood, you're going to see, hopefully, like I said, uh, a little bit more of a normal training camp. And that's what we're all hoping for right now, of course. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think at best we can kind of hope for a training camp. Players get out there. Um, the teams who have been together for a long time are going to have an advantage, at least at the beginning of the season, because they have less to learn about each other. Um, but I think everyone's just encouraged with how things have been slowly seem to progressing with the whole pandemic situation. And hopefully we don't get a nasty second flare up. Um, we're better prepared and ha to handle it if we do. And we can get back to football sometime soon.
So you can follow Joe and I on Twitter throughout the week as well. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Joe is at Roto Street. Joe, not exactly sure how much tweeting our fearless, like I said, veteran culture reporter Mike Chappell is going to do. But uh, you can follow him as well at mchapel 51 And I'm sure he'll throw out a couple of tidbits from here and there over the next couple of weeks before he is back fully healthy and ready to go into uh, the late summer and early fall of the NFL schedule. Once again, we are the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Download, subscribe to get this delivered to your podcast listening device every week. And we will see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>